Hello, and welcome to The Final Mix, the podcast where we take a deep dive into classic albums and analyze them track by track. I'm Jeremy Boyd, and I've been a music geek since I was a small kid. If you're a fan of music like I am, join me as we listen together to a classic album. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Final Mix. I believe this is episode number five. Uh, I'm having so much fun doing this podcast. I say that every episode, but it really is true. I am having a blast doing this. And I think part of the fun for me is just not knowing what album is going to come up when I hit the button. That is so much fun because it's it's I'm really looking forward to uh, listening to an album that's sort of outside of my comfort zone because I've so far I've done a lot of albums where it's stuff that I know about it's music that I know about um, so I'm really looking forward to something coming up that is completely out of my area of expertise and see if I can actually analyze it and interpret what is happening with the that uh, music so i'm looking forward to diving into maybe some hip-hop or some uh, electronic music or some pop or maybe even some older country uh you know anything anything that i'm uh, i'm going to not really be an expert on so far all the albums that i've done i've I don't want to toot my own horn and say that I'm a musical expert, but I, I feel that the the music that I've done is within my realm of knowledge. So one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is seeing what album comes up that's uh, outside of my comfort zone. So that's really what I'm looking for now. I'm all obviously going to review whatever album comes up today when I hit the button. I'm not going to cheat the system and just keep hitting the button until an album comes up. Like whatever comes up, that's what I'm going to do. But the first episode that comes uh, with something that is outside of my comfort zone, I'm going to really look forward to that. Okay, let's get into the show and let's press the button and see what album I'm going to be listening to this week. Okay, so the album that's come up here is Fragile by Yes. So this is actually, believe it or not, this is not an album that I'm familiar with. I know it seems like it would be something that's in my wheelhouse. I, of course, I know the song Roundabout, but I don't know that much about Yes. Uh, the, 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 all I really know about Yes is the, Bass player Chris Squire is considered one of the best bass players in the world. And, and that's really about it. So let's take a look. I want to know some information about Fragile. Okay, so this is their fourth studio album uh, by English progressive rock band Yes, released on the 26th of November, 1971 by Atlantic Records. Okay, so this was the first album with Rick Wakeman. Uh, apparently he replaced their their founding member Tony K. I know who Rick Wakeman is. He did a um, a weird thing in the late seventies, like King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table or something. It was on ice, and it was like these seventies uh, synthesizers. It was really weird. It was very strange. But he he's uh, considered one of the greatest uh, keyboard players 
of all time, along with John Lord and, and people like that from Deep Purple. Okay, so so let's get into... So I know Roundabout is the first song, so let's hear that. I know it's a bit of a long song, so I'm looking forward to that. So let's get into the album, and we'll talk a little bit more about it uh, later on. So here's the first song, Roundabout. Holy shit. Um, that was a, an awesome song. I always loved that song, and that just put me in such a good mood. That's such a great... That's a great fucking song. And it it it, it has so much going on, but it's not overwhelming. You see, there's a, a, a saying that a lot of musicians have that says, don't bore us, get to the chorus. And that's certainly true for a lot of progressive rock that would come later on. Uh, you know, a lot of the later 70s progressive rock when it became bloated and just stayed around too long. But this is exciting. This is like this is like fast, high-energy progressive rock. It's a long song clocking in at eight and a half minutes. But it keeps you engaged throughout the whole thing because it's almost like a mini opera. There are so many different, or not maybe not an opera, but a classical piece. And I think that's that was kind of the the idea or the objective. Is there different movements happening within this song? And it's all like a mini classical piece, like a mini symphony, really. I love the guitar work in it. I love the way that it it starts with the uh, the piano playing a chord, and it's reversed. It's played backwards, and it sort of leads into the the crash. That's such a cool sound, and it it's going throughout the whole the the first couple chords of the the song, and then it launches into that funky bass line, which is amazing. It just it works so well, and it just hooks you in right away. Because at first you're saying, okay, what, what, what is this? And then once that baseline starts, it's like, oh shit, this is, this is awesome. This is cool. And then it goes from there and it goes, and it dips down to some uh, quieter, slower parts and it picks back up again and then dips down a bit again. And it goes through all these different things and it's, it's never boring. Like you would, you'd think that a song that clocks in at eight and a half minutes would be boring, but it isn't. Doing a long song is a risky thing because you 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 risk boring the audience. So you have to really plan it out, and you have to really know what you're doing when you go into a recording session or you were writing a song, and you know. Okay, this is going to be a long song. You have to really pay attention. You have to know what you're going to do, and you have to set it up so that the audience doesn't get bored. And I think they really did a brilliant job here of doing that, and I think it it just 
works. It just works so well. I always love that song, and I can see why it has resonated with so many people. It's just, it's one of those songs that, that grabs you in the beginning as it starts, and it holds your attention throughout the whole thing. It's, it's just so cool. Okay, so moving right along, uh, the first song clocks in at eight and a half minutes. The second song is an instrumental, and it's only a minute and 38 seconds. So I'm interested to hear what that sounds like. It's called Cans and Brahms. Let's hear it. Okay, so I guess I was kind of right in that they were really influenced by classical music because this instrumental piece was actually, it borrows elements from Brahms' Fourth Symphony. I was just reading about it, uh, which is cool. And it's all Rick Wakeman on the piano and the harpsichord. It's a little ni- nice little interlude. I don't know if I would necessarily put it as the second song on the album, I maybe would have moved it down to the to close out the first side, but uh, it's cool and it's uh, a nice little piece to break up the the album for the rock songs. So it's uh, a cool little thing. Brahms, Cans and Brahms. It borrows from Brahms' Fourth Symphony. It's a nice little piece. I like it. So the next song after that is a song called We Have Heaven, and it's also a very short song. It's clocking in at a minute and 40 seconds. So uh, let's see what that's all about. Okay, so that was sort of a medieval kind of thing. It, it's in 3-4 time, and it's sort of like a waltz. And it do, wasn't really much of anything. Really, all it is is, is it serves as an intro to the next song, which is South Side of the Sky. And there's no separation between the two songs. They transition into each other. So I don't want to take too much time to... Uh, to talk about uh, this song, I think it really is sort of a complete piece. So I want to um, go into the next one, which is South Side of the Sky, and we'll talk about the the rest of it uh, after we listen to that. So here is South Side of the Sky. Okay, South Side of the Sky. That was an interesting song. 
I can hear a lot of influence. I can hear that this, to me, the the what this song sounds like is Jane's Addiction. The way that uh, the, the the voice, I think his name is Ian Anderson. The way his voice, John Anderson, sorry. The way his voice sounds is a lot like Perry Farrell. Uh, their, their voices are very similar. And the guitar work is very funky. It's It doesn't sound like the 70s. It sounds like the 90s. It sounds like alternative rock from the 90s. It this doesn't feel like a song that's from the 70s. The only giveaway, I think, maybe is the fact that it's eight minutes long and it goes through these different, again, different movements and it slows down in the middle and there's this long sort of almost classical piano piece. I think that's really the only giveaway, the only indication that this is a, a song from the 70s. But other than that, it sounds like, it, it really does, it sounds like something from Jane's Addiction. That's the that's the immediate image that I have in my mind. I want to say that the, the bass... Chris Squire is, again, one of the greatest bass players of all time. And the way he plays with the drummer, uh, Bill B- Bruford, is just, it's genius. The It's almost like they're playing two different parts. You know, sometimes in, in rock music, the bass and the drums are really tight and locked in with each other. But these guys are almost, it's almost like John Entwistle and Keith Moon, except less chaotic. It's sort of like they're playing different parts, but it still somehow works together. The way that the the guitars blend in with that and the, the, the funky clav and then the vocals on top, the way that this is mixed together, whoever did the mixing on this did a really good job. I don't know for a fact if, if this album or this song was recorded live off the floor if it was overdubbed but however it was recorded it sounds amazing and it really is a testament to the musicianship of these guys so what i'm hearing in this album is really just it you can't really tell what is influencing these this band it's doesn't sound like the beatles it doesn't sound like the Rolling Stones, it doesn't sound like anything else. There's a couple of funky things that may be influenced from Sly and the Family Stone. But other than that, this is really a unique thing on itself. Maybe the influence is coming from Pink Floyd. Maybe. But I may I think maybe Pink Floyd came out too close to yes to have any sort of real impact on the direction of the band. But there seem to be quite a few bands of this era that were going in the same direction, like Pink Floyd, yes, Genesis, that early progressive rock before it became commercialized and and bloated and and too big. Uh, That early 70s progressive rock is really the exciting stuff. And it just seemed like it was the uh, the right time for it. I think the psychedelic era had come and gone, and think I think people were ready for something new. They didn't want to necessarily go back to fifties nostalgia yet. That would come in the late seventies, 
but uh, they wanted something new and something fresh. And I think though the bands that came out in that time, like Pink Floyd and, and all, all those, yes, they really came out at the right time. They were the ones who really cemented this new sound of the 70s. Along with Led Zeppelin as well, you know, and I think people, because of FM radio, people were less afraid to just be confined to a three minute pop song. I think they were ready to expand and to say, hey, we can stretch this out a bit. We can have an eight minute pop song and it's okay. It's cool. I think the audience is ready for it. People, FM radio, you could play a whole album in its entirety and it was it was accepted people were ready to sit down and listen to music as a whole so i think this album in particular along with all the other ones that i mentioned the other bands that i mentioned were really ready for that kind of audience and i think the audience was there for it at that time so this song uh closes out the first side of the album and this so far this album is really interesting because it's it really only has the first side. It really only has two proper songs. The first song roundabout and the fourth song South side of the sky. The, the, the middle two songs are really just segues. And what I was talking about before with the, uh, little Richard episode, the second episode where it was just a collection of songs and it wasn't a cohesive album. This is actually a cohesive album. And this is not a collection of songs. This is an album that has a beginning, middle, and end. And that's a really exciting thing to me. And it's just a, a, a great thing of, of, you know, it kind of started with Sgt. Pepper. And people took it to the extreme of concept albums and listening to the album from start to finish. And almost like sitting down and watching a movie. And this is that kind of album. And uh, I think it just works really well. And it's it's just uh, such a cool thing. And it's my preferred way to listen to music, to just put on a record and listen to it from top to bottom. Okay, so let's get into side two, uh, which is 5% for nothing, which I think probably segues into the next song which is long distance runaround so i'm gonna gonna play those two songs together and and then i'm gonna talk about both of them afterward so let's hear uh five percent for nothing and long distance runaround Okay, so I apologize. The reason that the, the the this album has so many different instrumental pieces is because it's actually showcasing the the ideas of each of the members of the band. So the the song that preceded that one, five percent for nothing, was arranged by the the um, the drummer Bill Bruford, 
Cans and Brahms was by Rick Wakeman. And We Have Heaven was by uh, John Anderson. So it's each member of the band is allowed to have some space on the album to create whatever idea that they have. So that's actually a pretty cool concept, and it's a good way to keep all the members of the band happy. Uh, and that's kind of uh, cool to to showcase on this album to say, Hey, we are a band, but we also are individuals and we have ideas of our own and we want to showcase them. That's pretty cool. That's, that's very noble. Cause I can see uh, I've been in bands and the d- dynamic can be, well, I, if, especially if you have a lot of songwriters in the band, the diamond dynamic can be, well, I want my song on the album. Well, I want my song on the album. And there's always these arguments of whose song should go on the album, whose song should be the single or whatever. So to keep all the members happy, it's sort of like a challenge. It's like, okay, everybody, every member of the band gets, you know, a minute or whatever it is to come up with whatever crazy idea that they have so that that way everybody's idea is heard. That's a cool way to do it. That's a cool concept, I think. So Long Distance Runaround, that was written by uh, John Anderson, and it's a shorter song. And you would think the shorter song would be the single from the album, and it was actually released as the B-side to uh, Roundabout. But Roundabout, you would think that a shorter song would be the the go-to single for the album. But uh, this was a cool song. It's sort of uh, jazz. It it has a lot of jazz elements, and I really like that. I like the way that the the chord changes are very. They're using a lot of jazz chords, a lot of different time signatures. The drummer's playing in a very jazz sort of swing style. It's just uh, another element of and another another revelation into the influences that this band has and so the the way that this album came about apparently is they wanted to move into using synthesizers and in the early 70s you didn't have like the digital synthesizers that you have now obviously you had things like the mini moog or the moog synthesizer i don't know if the mini moog had come out yet but you had things like the moog and like the mellotron and uh, different synthesizers like that but i guess the the original keyboard player tony k didn't want to use electronic sounds he wanted to keep the the keyboards organic he wanted to use like the b3 organ or like the uh, electric piano or 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 just a regular piano which i can see that i understand that that sentiment i understand why you wouldn't necessarily want to record with electronic instruments i get it but at the same time i can also see why the band would want to expand their sound and and create some new textures and create some new sounds that they they necessarily haven't done before so i can see both sides of the argument so because he was but the band wanted to move on in a new direction and he didn't want to he left the band and we had rick wakeman which i think was a uh, worked out better in the long run because rick wakeman is considered one of the greatest keyboard players of all time and this is uh, a an al- album that uh, really represents that okay so moving on to the next song 
which is called The Fish. It's called The Fish Schninderella Primaturus. I don't know how to say that. Let's just call it The Fish because that's what it is. Uh, Okay, so here we go. This is The Fish. Okay, so that was apparently another idea song, this time coming from Steve Howe, the guitar player. It was sort of an instrumental, except for the little vocal arrangement at the end. I thought it was cool. I thought it was different. I thought it was experimental. I don't really know what else to say about it. It was cool. I liked it. Uh, I, I like it when bands take a risk. I like it when they don't put out just a three-minute pop song. I like it when they expand on their sound and expand on something and, and don't put the do the same thing over and over and over again. So I really dug this one. Uh, I thought it was cool. Yeah, I don't know what more I can say about it. I, I, I liked it. I, I thought it was uh, interesting. I think I, what I like about it is, again, the, the way that the guitar and the, the drums are playing together this sort of feels like an idea of a song. Not necessarily a complete song, but an idea of a song. More like a jam. Maybe it's a piece of a jam that they, they did. I like it. I like it that it has that loose improvisational feel to it, almost like jazz. It seems like a lot of... There's two different camps in terms of alternative music from the 70s. There's stuff like progressive rock like this, which has long songs, but they're sort of very structured. And you you know, like like Roundabout is a very structured song. It has a beginning, middle, and end. There's different movements, and it's all planned out. And then you have bands like The Grateful Dead, where they have long songs, but it's not planned out. It's improvised. It's a lot more like jazz in that way. It's it, it you they they don't really know what's going to happen and that's the exciting part about it and that's what i like about those bands i i don't like one over the other necessarily it really depends on the mood that i'm in but i think it's interesting that that the same things can happen but they're two different approaches you know what i mean like the the two have i want to say like a Grateful Dead song could could end up being something like Roundabout, where it goes through different movements and things, but it's not planned out. It's just whatever happened in that moment. Whereas a band like Pink Floyd or Yes could do a song like Roundabout with all the different movements and everything, but they planned out each move. Not One isn't necessarily better than the other, but I think uh, I, I just think it's interesting the the two different approaches to this to get the same result okay so moving along this is actually the second last song this is actually a pretty short album uh because there's a lot of there's nine songs on it but four of the nine songs are just 
of really short snippets of, of things. And this is another one. Apparently, this is another uh, instrumental. It's called Mood for a Day. Let's dig it. Okay, so I apologize. That song was Steve Howe's idea. The one before it, um, um, The Fish, that was Chris Squire. Okay, so Mood for a Day was really cool to me. Uh, it sounded, it obviously played on a classical guitar. It had sort of a medieval feel to it, kind of Latin a little bit. It was uh, it was very cool. It was... Uh, Nice to hear just a, a, a softer guitar. You think of the 70s guitars being this loud, bombastic, Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page, you know, Tony, Iomi, all these guitar gods, and that's great and that's cool. But it's also really cool to hear something a little more, a little toned down, something more acoustic, something medieval. I keep saying medieval, but it's a classical piece. It's a classical guitar piece and it's it's really cool to hear that in the noise of loud louder is better loud guitars of the 70s and 60s it's cool to hear something different in that in that uh, arena so i really enjoyed that song and uh, it, it was it, it again it's cool to hear the different uh, personalities of all the band members and to hear what they bring to the table in terms of their abilities, their tastes, and their uh, just their backgrounds and, and their training. And obviously, each guy in the band is going to come from a slightly different point of view. And that's really something that I, I love about music, older music, is... And this is why bands have different sounds, is because one member, each member of the band has different music that they have different favorite music. And so when you put it all together, you create that band's sound. So, you know, in the seventies, like you had bands from the Southern United States, like Leonard Skinner or the Almond brothers. And then you had bands from England, like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. And each, you could hear not necessarily even the voice, you could listen to the 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 guys playing and you knew what band it was because each band had a different sound and the reason each band had a different sound is because everybody played differently everybody had different influences everybody had different training so you knew so each band had their own distinctive characteristics and so i think that's lost a little bit uh these days but i think it's uh, a really cool thing and that's one of those uh, things that, that uh, just makes music so interesting and unique is like everybody brings something slightly different to the table. So having said that, we have reached the end of the album. The song that closes the album out is called Heart of the Sunrise. So it's a long one, so I hope you strap in. It's uh, 10 minutes and 34 seconds. 
So let's hear it and uh, let's close out the album. Okay, Heart of the Sunrise. Okay, so that was really interesting. That was very different, very out there. Uh, the song starts off with this crazy sort of disjointed, I don't know what to call it, all different time signatures and, and funky, and it's so crazy. And that goes on for about four minutes or so, and then it settles into this softer piano piece which is sort of, I guess, the main hook of the song, the main riff, or the, not the main riff, but the main feel of the song. And that sort of is the, uh, the, 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 the main, that, that's sort of what the, how the song goes for, uh, to the end of it. And, and then it, at around 10 minutes and 35 seconds, it just stops abruptly, which is uh, such a weird thing and it's 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 so different i i don't really know what else to say about it it's a very long song there's a lot to it there's a lot to digest in that song uh, yeah i don't really quite know what to say about it it's one of those songs that um i think it it takes a couple listens to to really fully comprehend what's going on with it it uh it's definitely a progressive rock song i can Definitely here, especially in the beginning, I can hear a lot of uh, early influence on uh, like progressive metal. There's a lot of different time signature changes, a lot of key changes, and you can hear the influence that this song in particular had on progressive metal. A lot of metal music has a lot of the same things going on with it. But And again, this is just a testament to the technical prowess that these musicians have. I mean, it is just so out there and so, you know, raw and, and crazy and real. It's just one of those cool things. And I, I really, I dug this song. I don't, I don't think I really liked it in the beginning, but it really kind of grew on me. It was a slow burn. That's for sure. The, the song itself is one of those things that, uh, you don't really get it right away. You know what I mean? You, it just sort of takes a while to say, oh, okay, this is what's going on. And I, I really uh, I enjoyed that. I think this album overall is pretty unique, and it, I don't think there's anything else quite like it. I don't think there's a band that quite functions the way that Yes does. And they really continue throughout their career. They, I know they had a few hits in the 80s, and they went a little more pop, you know, eventually you're going to get bored with your sound and you want to change it up. Not everybody was a fan of that. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But I, I think this album is is probably considered their their magnum opus. You know, this is the album that's considered their... This is the, the yes album for a lot of people. And I think I can definitely see why. 
this album, I think, I don't think is going to, I, I don't honestly think this is going to be one of my favorite albums of all time. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed listening to it for what it was, but I'm not that big of a fan of, of progressive rock. I don't think this is going to be an album that I'm going to repeat too often. I might, you know, like 10 years from now, I might revisit this album and it might become one of my favorites. But for right now, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't dislike the album, but I just don't think that this is something that I'm going to... It's good, and I can see that... I can see why so many people like it, but it's just one of those things that I don't think is going to be one of my favorites and that's okay you know it not everything has to be great and not everything has to be just because other people like the album doesn't mean that i have to but you know that's that's the beauty of music is it's completely subjective but i did like the album and i did i could see and i really do appreciate the musicianship that goes into it that's that's definitely something that i can appreciate is is the uh the the guys that are in this band are top notch musicians and that is that is something that i can absolutely recognize and i and i really admire these guys for how they play and how they play together is a a really cool thing so i'm going to end the podcast there thank you so much for listening uh make sure you check out the final mix show that's my central hub and uh you can check me out on twitter send me an email the final mix podcast at gmail.com and that's about it thank you so much for listening if you made it this far and i will see you next week okay take it easy